0: Welcome to the University of Washington's Political Economy Forum. We bring together diverse scholars, policymakers, and citizens to discuss current public policy issues, to inform the public about them, and to find evidence-based solutions. Feel free to visit our website at uwpoliticaleconomy.com. We publish new episodes of this podcast every week. If you have questions or suggestions for discussion topics, please contact us on Twitter at ForumUW or email us at uwpoliticaleconomy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicholas Wittstock, and today I'm speaking to Nick Della Nick is co-founder and partner of a German venture capital fund called Planet A Ventures. And Planet A focuses on early-stage startup investing in the broad space of clean energy and environment-related technology, aiming to support founders tackling the world's largest environmental problems. So this should be an exciting conversation, as well as a peek into the European venture and startup scene. But as you will notice, Nick is also just an inspirational and deeply insightful person to talk to. So I'm excited to share our conversation with you.
1: Hello, Nick De Hi, Nick. Fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We're excited to have you on. Uh, Nick, you are the co-founder and a partner at Planet A Ventures. Uh, what does Planet A Ventures do? Um, thanks for
2: asking. So... Planet A Ventures is a European-based, uh, so I personally live in, in Berlin, but the team is scattered around Europe, the European-based early-stage green tech fund. That's that's a lot of words in one sentence. So basically what we do is we invest into innovative technology that aims at uh, contributing towards the build-up of the sustainable economy. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, um, we can see it left, right, and center. We somehow have built a non-sustainable economy, uh, an economy that is operating outside the planetary boundaries. We see that in the form of climate change, but the planetary boundaries as a concept uh, developed by the Swedish scientist uh, Rockström um, are much more than only climate change. There is also uh, nitrogen and phosphorus pollution, there is biodiversity loss and so on. And we've already severely overstepped many of these planetary boundaries and we believe that um, It is our task as society, as humanity, uh, to turn back the wheel of climate change and turn back also the implications of the other planetary boundaries and to create an economy that is operating within the planetary boundaries. And we don't have the high risk to think that technology and innovation in itself can do everything, but we we believe that it can be part of the solution. Um, And therefore, we look out for founders that understand that, their companies are tools to combat climate change, global pollution Mm -hmm. and so on. And this is what we do with Playday. We fund them at an early stage. um, So usually from from two people up to 50 people um, and next to capital, also bring a couple of other things to the table um, to make sure that our bets also are successful in the end.
1: Got it. Um, That sounds extremely ambitious and uh, also pretty exciting. Um, But before we get back to the company itself, um, let me just ask you: How did you personally get into this? Um, how did you get to the point where you felt like uh, you were both um, motivated enough, but also you know ready? And um, assuming that there's also uh, concerns about you know do you have the resources to pull this off and stuff like that? How did you get to the point where you um, co-founded this this fund? So I would I would
2: say there is there is absolutely no red line. Um, <laughs> I I also don't wouldn't say that I ended up here by accident I think it's just um some things uh, were meant to happen and I will get to that in a second but maybe a sentence about what I did before so I'm a trained industrial engineer and then I always worked on the forefront of technology um I uh, back when I was in university some somewhat uh, focused on the back then, uh, not called Web3, back then it was only Bitcoin in early 2015 and started to invest a bit in that space. And uh, that has spiraled uh, upwards over the past years, ended up doing around 70 angel investments in that space into both equity and token. And uh, that, was, that was something that on the one hand got me trained in how does the investment and finance world work, which I always did next to my regular job and also um, made me realize how, Uh, motivated and interested and uh, curious I am in anything that is new. Back then, I was fascinated by the idea that the internet could be a more decentralized, more autonomous place. And then ended up doing a couple of jobs in the meantime, was with a fund, was with a startup, then founded my own company. And in the process of it, I started to realize that what we are calling climate change is indeed real. It's not (laughs) an abstract concept that might become reality, but we are indeed running against the wall with 120 miles per hour. And there was no inflection point in the sense that I stood on a landfill in India and suddenly realized, oh my God, this is all going down the drain. Um, It was more so I was reading and profoundly realizing that this is happening. I don't know. Mm There was at some point uh, uh, it just made sense. And that changed my life profoundly because suddenly I felt, I started to also understand the the privilege that I have as an inhabitant of the global North. And and I thought, how can I, how can I do anything else? How can I not spend my time with this? Like this is obviously going going to impact my life and the life of everybody else on the planet. And we are obviously not uh, changing in a necessary speed. So Mm -hmm. how can I not spend my entire energy with trying to become part of the solution and not remain only part of the problem. And so, I then started to think about okay what what can i do and what is also needed <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. that, that was the, the, the first important thought and um, very quickly after talking to a lot of very ambitious entrepreneurs across europe i found that many of them were simply falling through the search filters of most european vcs because uh, whenever they've heard hardware they were out and it's very obvious that we not only Need soft veneration, but we also need hard veneration. We fundamentally have to rework how we produce energy, store it, get from a to b uh produce our food, grow our um food um produce our clothes, build our houses, and so on and software is only going to do part of the trick and so it was clear, okay, somehow there is a lack of capital, and that was the the inflection point for me to think, okay, maybe there is. If there is a lack of capital, then there is also a need for somebody who who gives out capital. And that's where the idea of that came up. And then I started to talk to like-minded people. And back then, there wasn't like a hundred thousands of them, but just uh, it felt like a handful. There was, of course, more, but I didn't know them. And by accident, uh, coincidence of faith, uh, after a couple of meetings, I ran into somebody called Fritjof. And Fritjof, before... Uh, Doing what he does now, he co-founded a company called Jimdo, which is uh, a website building kit kit like Squarespace or WordPress, uh, uh, third largest one in Europe. Um, So like very successful internet company. And uh, he told me about his idea. Mm -hmm. And after after 45 minutes, I thought, hey, that sounds exactly like what I'm having in mind. Uh How can that be? and then i asked him how is it called in your mind and he said it's going to be called planet a and mm. i lost it because in my head it was also called planet a i had bought the domain planet a.ventures okay. a couple of weeks prior because planet a.com was taken by somebody unknown without a website and so i found found by coincidence the actual owner of planet a.com and that was when we joined forces in uh, 2020 crazy oh. 3 years ago yeah um, and since then we've been doing this uh, he was already um, on the road with the uh, two other people and um, then very quickly we put together the entire founding team um, and uh, started to build KDA into what it is today
1: interesting so i think most of our listeners uh, i know in fact most of our listeners are in the u.s and um going to tell you very honestly, I mean, both of us are from from, uh, Germany, right? And um, in the US, Germany is not necessarily known as a particularly uh, dynamic startup scene. (laughs) I think there's a lot of uh, respect for German industry, but it's typically associated with very large companies. And even in the space of uh, renewable energy broadly, let's say, um, I think if you think about Europe, you think about big companies, right? Like Siemens or Nordex or Vestas or, you know, you name it. I can just rattle off some names, but that's not that useful. But I think my point being that why are you so sure or why are you taking the approach of, of funding startups, right? Like where do you, why do you feel like it's really going to have to, the initiative has to come from outside of established uh, big actors that might have a lot deeper pockets, right? And might have their own motivations why they might be wanting to uh, be part of, of the solution as you said.
2: As I said like I think it would be almost cynical to say uh, technology uh, right. as a standalone uh, mosaic piece is going to solve it. If I if I try to map uh, an imaginary landscape of what is needed there is at least four components that come to mind and of course they are like there's a lot of cross-references but for, for the sake of keeping it simple there's four things. There is Regulatory changes, so mm-hmm. plastic taxes, uh, carbon taxes, and so on. This is something that has a real-world implication right now. Then there is new technology and also how technology is rolled out. That's part of it. Then there is how companies behave mm-hmm. um, um, in the sense that they might um, agree or publish certain net zero targets uh, until 2030 40 50 whatever uh, that they do out of their motivation not necessarily because regular regulatory changes force them right now plus there is behavioral change mm-hmm. um, so i decide because i'm fearful of the future to eat less meat eat no meat or change my uh, behavior in in any way and <laughs> in in preparation for um for planet A we had the privilege to talk with a lot of very very not only in europe but also in the u s very renowned founders and some of them are on a similar path to to what we are doing and um they said that in the early days they had they and they they said that out very loud and i was surprised about it they had a lot of admiration for us to being able to pick a battle uh, they mm-hmm. found that we are we' we're, we're in such a i'm I'm not sure that we have more problems nowadays than we had twenty years ago. like factfulness is I think a very impactful book that hints towards the answer being no that there is less problems, but we're simply more informed about them um but the being more informed uh, part of course leads to a potentially higher anxiety in in like what the fuck should I do? There's so much to do, and I don't even know where to start yeah, yeah and I we know. at some point understood that for us that's that this is this is really a tool for change and in the end why we also believe that it's the best leverage of our time is capital has responsibility mm-hmm. we invest tickets between 500,000 to maybe 4 million euros which for, um, for me personally I would say it's, it's a lot of money in the worldwide investment scheme it's not even a drop in the ocean mm-hmm. but and this is not to be neglected um, the companies that we fund today might become the giants of tomorrow Got it. and we have to acknowledge that that responsibility that capital has because if we look into the nasdaq how many of these companies have received venture capital in the first place like all of the internet giants most certainly have and mm-hmm. they are now uh, the role models when we look into our economy and i think this is this is what we shouldn't be disregarded
1: yeah i mean there is also an argument to be made that um I mean, first of all, right? I mean, you, you're very modest, but of course, you know, one, two, three million dollars is gigantic sums of money for uh, a startup of the size of four or something like that, right? So this mm. is a pretty big jump if you're at that stage. At the same time, uh, you could also argue that, you know, if, if people really, um, want to do something new, uh, that, that's probably the point where more radical innovation might come from. Or that's really the space where you really get to test out some some pretty uh, potentially revolutionary technologies. That said, given the um, technology focus, right? I'm just curious, are you in any way cooperating with uh, universities or research agencies of any kind or governmental agencies, anything like that?
2: Quite a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there is
2: there is different approaches. There is uh, if we look at only academia, then um, we are super well connected to um the local accelerators so for example many of the technical universities universities have uh, somewhat uh, some form of acceleration program mm-hmm. which uh, they might provide maker or uh, co-working spaces to startups in which they can just sit down start first trials and sometimes they distribute a bit of money and so we try to be present at their demo days or whenever there are events um and then also in a larger scheme, we also cooperate with people that still are in university um, and basically get into an agreement with them that if they see an interesting company forming, that they then inform us about them or put us into touch with them. So it's, Got of it. course, not a way to to tackle 100%, but it's uh, it's a good first step. And then individually, we are, we're also doing quite a lot. So, for example, in, in Germany, and I'm not going to bore you with details or any of your listeners, Oh, there is something too. called yeah. an an exist uh, stipendia an exist um um what would be the word um scholarship yeah it's yeah it's a type of a scholarship um that goes out to founders um basically you have to submit an idea and then you get a month you get a yearly salary for up to three founders and lena one of my co-founders she sits in the in the gremium that decides where these uh, scholarships go Got it. Um, and so we have a bit of an impact there then Friedhof the co-founder I already talked about he sits in the um, sustainable finance advisory board of the German government um, and then I think the the largest impact in a sense uh, we have in on a communication on a media and comms level so we are I would say by now pretty decently connected to uh European news agencies and uh, publishing houses and are able to communicate uh, what we do quite broadly. And we think that this is, of course, reaching more people than we would be able to individually. And maybe before we we continue, one thing that I think is important uh, about our approach is we decided to tackle the entire field of venture capital slightly differently than other teams. So mm-hmm. we, we looked into the past and said, okay, If we're going to replicate investment behavior from the past, then the possibility that we're going to replicate the same results are pretty high. So obviously, we need to change something. And um, in the genesis of that, we started to notice that when investing, (laughs) surprise, surprise, we're looking into financial KPI because they are vastly available, even for early stage companies. But we never really consider the actual environmental implications of Mm -hmm. How does the world look like in which product X gets to become a product that is used by vast uh, population of the world? And so we believe that this is something that needs to change for two reasons. One, because it's the right thing to do. We don't have the luxury of not considering that anymore. Two, because we believe it gives us um, a better alpha on the market. We believe that there is undoubtedly, there has to be an undoubtable correlation between the companies that are most successful in traditional terms, so on the monetary side, and the companies creating the biggest positive impact, so that, I don't know, um prevent most emissions from being emitted in the first place, uh, are able to restore most amount of hectares of, of forest or so, Um and so... We set up our team differently in a sense that we're not only a team of entrepreneurs and economists, but we also have a team of scientists on board. These scientists, they conduct something called life cycle assessments. And life cycle assessments uh, are basically the gold standard for very scientific impact measurement and calculation. Uh, A life cycle assessment is, and we didn't invent that. uh, That was the gold standard long before we used it it's a holistic overview of all materialistic and energetic inputs that are needed to create a certain product from the sourcing of the raw material Mm -hmm. to the transportation emissions to the production emissions the use phase and the end of life so how can it be then recycled uh, into into the life cycle and we do that once for the innovation and then we do the same thing for the status quo so um for example when we look into bioplastics for example we compare bioplastics with uh, fossil plastics and then we end up with a difference in terms of CO2 emitted but also in terms of waste produced water used and so on and that allows us to be uh, not to not have to operate on a on a spectrum from light green to dark green and kind of hope for the best but it allows us to be very quant about okay how big is the actual impact potential of a certain technology if mm-hmm. that is scaled to certain market share in a certain market size.
1: All right. Um let me push back slightly. Um so the issue that I see or the, the immediate question that I have is how do you afford to do that? Right? How can you afford to do that? Because it seems to me that um or at least the way that I typically think about it is that part of the problem really is that a lot of the costs that are associated with certain products are not internalized in the financial transaction that is happening right so i can produce a product that is cheaper in sort of monetary terms today um because i'm externalizing certain costs they're only going to happen later and importantly not necessarily to the person that i'm selling the product to so if you're now selling saying okay we're going to use kpis that go beyond just um Uh, those more, say, classic uh, pieces of uh, financial information that would make an investment good, quote-unquote, right, or as profitable, rather, is is the important metric. Or we're going to, um, in some sense, consider profitability in a more wider sense, including all of these other environmental factors, uh, externalized costs. Presumably, that that must come with some sort of financial hit, right? I mean, you, you... this can't be free in some sense to you as the investor. So, so complicated way or a long way of saying, of asking a very simple question, which is like, how do you afford to do that? Mm. I I think I think there's there's
2: two topics in that. So one is how can we afford to make that calculation, and two, can the business model still be sound if it is positive or better than what we have today? Yeah. The easy answer is uh, how can we afford to do that? Um, we basically, we have a team of 14 and of that 14, uh, around four people are working on the scientific side of things. And we simply decided to not pay ourselves industry average salaries to afford mm-hmm. um, what other would call a luxury, but we think it's essential. So Got that's it. very mm-hmm. easy. So we don't have a different uh, cost structure towards our investors than, than any other fund. We're just... Uh, said, okay, this is essential and we have to um, make, a, make a point for that to also exist beyond Plan A. The other side is how do, like, can businesses still be profitable? Clear answer is yes. Mm-hmm. We have, for example, invested into a company called Eneratech. They are the world market leader for the production of e kerosene So mm-hmm. power to gas. Take two um, feedstock products, hydrogen, green hydrogen, and CO2. Combine that to through a two-stage uh, reactor process into e-kerosene,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, there, for example, we are in the situation that the European Union uh, has agreed, or it is agreed on by the European Union, that up until 2030, eight um, percent of the total kerosene that can be used must be e kerosene. So there is a there is a hundred percent guaranteed market. And nobody else is able to produce it. They Their offtake agreements that they have are orders of magnitude higher than what they can produce today. This is like pure product market fit, uh, not in the software world, but in the hardware world. And we see that trend throughout different portfolio companies that either regulation is in place or customer behavior is already so high for a certain product that um, it is a viable product. So we don't do concessionary investment in the sense that mm-hmm. we say, okay, it is doing good but therefore we're looking for uh, smaller returns by no means we think mm-hmm. that from a, from a pure investment point of view this is one of the maybe the largest opportunity of the 21st century
1: it must Got be it. all right that makes sense part of the reason why i wanted to talk to you is that i hear or one of the biggest audience of this podcast obviously is students and if the students that i interact with are any indication um, a lot of them are are very equal to you, very, very worried about climate change. And uh, it seems to me that most of them are somewhat in despair and don't really know what to do. So they're earlier in, you, in your journey, I suppose. But uh, one of the questions that derives from that is that, you know, when you hear all this um, amazing uh, stuff that you're doing, for example, or you hear about your uh, co-founders and uh, co-workers, you know, who sit on these, uh government boards or who are on the uh, uh, board of an institution that gives us scholarships in this space, sounds like it's it's really hard to get into the position that you are in. But I'm assuming that you got into this position not like you didn't start in that position, right? Like you worked yourself into it. so um, would you is there any advice or anything like that that you can give to people that might feel like this is really a hard uh, goal to attain? Or, or or how hard is it to get to the position that you are? The good
2: and the bad sometimes are the same. And I think in this case, it is the same in the sense that sustainability is not the future industry. Mm-hmm. Sustainability must be the future of all industries. Mm-hmm. All industries have a severe need to overthink what they are doing right now. And we can see early adopters and laggards wherever we look. We see that in the oil and gas companies. We see that in... The food producing companies, we see that literally everywhere that there are companies that take this really seriously and are looking to adapt quicker than others because they understand that that's going to result in a moat for them, while others uh, still think that this is all a hoax and they don't jump any higher than any regulatory pressure is forcing them to. So in general, to I think... Dedicate your work life towards something that feels meaningful and contributing is quite independent of a certain industry. I think the venture world uh, in itself, uh, and I think that this has been has been written and explained in many other occasions uh, before, is is somewhat special in the sense that there is uh, like it's much more restricted in the sense that there is less places uh, on certain tables to uh, to sit at. Yeah. so uh there i can and i can only recommend to like build a network and start to talk to people and i don't think that there is a clear red line career in in VC, uh, red line career path in vc i think there is so many different ways
1: in and out of it <laughs> yeah now that makes sense 2022 was the year when europe really seemed to understand that you know, a new energy strategy is not really only linked to climate change immediately, but also to energy security, specifically uh, vis-a-vis Russian gas imports. How do you mm. feel like the clean energy or renewable economy investment scene in Germany has changed as a result of some of the developments over the last year? Would you say that there's more urgency now? Would you say there's more money available? Do you feel like there's more companies that are interested in making changes? Is there more interest in your services? I, I would say absolutely.
2: So so broadly speaking, 2022 has been a very tough year for many companies, like for many startups. We saw a turmoil of, of public markets and uh, that trickles down towards later stage, uh, towards buyout, towards later stage, we see towards early stage and then also pre-seed and seed companies. Energy, however behaved completely Mm -hmm. anti-cyclical. We invested into uh, a company called GA Drilling. GA Drilling is a Slovakian company that has developed a novel drilling head. um, And they don't drill with diamond-coated wheels, but they drill with plasma. Mm -hmm. Why is this relevant? Wind and solar, the typically used examples for renewable energy, are fantastic, but they are not baseload continuous. So, if there is wind and sun, then there is energy. And if not, then we suddenly need a lot of money to build storage facilities, which also usually uh, need some form of precious metals or anything that is not vastly available. And so, that's a bit of an issue. Geo- geothermal energy, and especially supercritical geothermal energy is something that is vastly available everywhere in the world. We need 0.1% of the heat of our planet Earth to power the entire primary energy needs of humanity for the next 2 million years. And we're not tapping into that right now. And this is mostly because we are limited by engineering challenges that are when we go beyond the depth of 3 kilometers, We in most regions of the world, we hit something that's called the so-called hard rock. Um, which is either granite or cooled off lava rock and our existing drilling technology, so these diamond-coated drilling heads, they last maybe half a meter to a meter in, in hard rock and then they are dull. And that means that then I have to pull out three kilometers of steel to attach a new drilling head and then it sinks down again. And that leads to simply exponentially rising costs to deeper I go. And GAD, GAD drilling, has developed that plasma drilling head, which uh, oversimplified, melts like a hot piece of steel through butter. Uh-huh. Uh, no matter uh, what the depth is. And so they aim at reaching depths of up to 10 kilometers. They have their uh, groundbreaking in the true sense of the word uh, event uh, next, uh, this year in, in Houston uh, drilling capital of the world. And um, for them, honestly, uh, and uh, there is, uh, of course, uh, it's, it's a terrible thing that is happening in Ukraine and Russia at the moment, but for them, um, all of this has been the po- most positive event that could have happened because energy independency just shot up so significantly right. in everybody's agenda agenda. As you just said in Europe, it's groundbreaking, and we see that wherever we go, from uh, solar power plants that are uh, mounted on balconies. Uh, so there is this trend that you can get uh, buy solar panels for maybe a thousand bucks, put them onto your onto your balcony just plug them into a socket and then cover up to 25% of your base load uh, amortized in uh, maybe two to three years. It's it's very easy mm. to um, the probably biggest German um, energy unicorns in uh, in, in Europe, um, Enpal and 1.5, both companies that put solar on residential roofs. And we, yeah. we see a lot of other companies across Europe as well. So I think for energy, it has been, a fantastic year, uh, energy
1: startups. That's great to hear. Yeah. Let's maybe close on a two-prong question, uh, one that I wanted to ask earlier, which is um, you spoke a little bit to this, but what are other criteria that you're looking for when you speak to people where you consider investing in the first place? And if you could give an example of a project that you're particularly excited about beyond the ones that you've already mentioned. Absolutely and happily.
2: So... (laughs) Traditional traditional venture investing is oversimplified. Uh, a Venn diagram of two circles: one is maybe product, tech, market, so the commercial and technical perspective; the other one is team, mm-hmm. and where you have a, a, a sweet spot in overlap, this is where you wanted to invest. Uh, for us, there is a third cir- circle that entered uh, the equation, which is the one of sustainability or impact potential. And so it got got a bit more narrow, but generally we follow, we follow that hypothesis. And after all, most of the things we do is very early stage investing. And so there is a a dedicated emphasis on team. So Mm -hmm. because usually there's not much else to rate for. And this is also something that we've been doing and uh, also been doing quite successfully over the past uh, decades. Um, in some, and so so we really have a big big focus on the team, and then the rest needs to check out and make sense. But we also know that there is going to be pivots, um, and that you can't guarantee anything but the team.
1: Right. Yeah, you really need to make sure that you work with uh, the right people. Absolutely.
2: Maybe maybe to to add an example of uh, how how that uh, can look like in a, in a perfect world, we have um, a company in the portfolio that is called Carbon One. Um it is founded, and there we have it with the team. Um, it was founded by somebody called Christian Follman. Uh, I, I guess that most of your listeners don't know him uh, in Germany. That that might be another case. He's uh, he's a serial entrepreneur, has uh, founded and exited a couple of companies, has been business angel of the year. And he sat together with a quantum chemist called Marek, who had developed a digital sandbox for the simulation of how different molecules react with each other. Mm -hmm. And he basically can play around with pressure with temperature and simply how different molecules also in a bigger scheme, react with each other without actually going to the lab. And therefore he's able to save uh, days, maybe years in the lab. Mm -hmm. And through that, he's found a new catalyst for the production of green methanol. And mm-hmm. Green methanol is um, uh, by now considered to be the hottest alternative for zero carbon shipping because uh, you don't have to have a certain pressure uh, to store it, such as for hydrogen. It's not toxic like ammonia, uh, it has a sufficient energy density, and so on. And so they got together and started that company. And uh, actually, just um, two weeks ago, so mask mask growth. Um, the venture arm of Mask, the biggest uh, shipper in the world, also announced that they, are, they followed us in the investment round uh, that we did around a year ago. And so, this is one of the sweet spots where really a perfect team came together for a perfect job.
1: Do you have any like concluding thoughts?
2: I mean, there is there is really a lot to tell. Uh, yeah, I'm happy I mean, to, of course, to, yeah. to touch or whatever. I think I think the, the 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 biggest. So I get the question a lot. What is what should I do? Should I eat less, yeah. more, less meat or should I fly less? And I think both matters, and both should be considered, but the biggest leverage is time and money.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: what you spend your working time with and how you not spend, but invest your money.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: this is, I think, uh, much easier than you think and uh, done by much less people than you also think. Mm-hmm.
1: So you would uh so if anyone asks that's what you would recommend they should really focus on when they really want to make a difference.
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: it Absolutely. Because because we really need to aim
2: for systemic change. So and like money will flow where banks and funds and whoever else assumes customer interest will go. Yeah. And yeah. if you say I want to I make it explicit that I want to buy into sustainable products, then this is what, bank, what banks will give better credit scores for what funds will fund and so on.
1: Mm-hmm. So this
2: is really the most significant impact that we have.
1: Nick, thanks so much for taking the time. This was great. Happy to be here. I had a lot of fun. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Political Economy Forum podcast. Please feel free to listen to our other episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might also like our special podcast on election security, Neither Free Nor Fair, which is hosted by Professor James Long and is also available on all major platforms. Our podcasts are produced by Morgan Wack and myself, Nicholas Witschduck. Our theme music was created by Ted Long. Please feel free to leave a review as we are curious about your feedback And if you have any questions, suggestions or concerns, please contact UWPoliticalEconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.